I'm standing in the middle of a group of young men with bird cages that can only be described as bling. The cages are detailed, carved and expensive. The, the most expensive cages is a, it's like mostly decorated and very detailed, carved and then very fine materials, uh, wooden, and then, then it's very heavy. And then it costs, can cost about like 500 US dollars something. Yeah. Giving the image for the owner that they have that prestige. You know. It's about prestige. Prestige, you know. We're beginning a journey through silent forests, taking us from Indonesia to Vietnam and from Thailand across to Myanmar to talk with local people working with animals and trees which are literally being exploited to death. And we're starting here at a songbird competition. Uh, morning, uh, my name is Sutrisno. I am a leader. The so he's the leader for the judges for bird competitions in West Kalimantan. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And can you describe for me when you choose a winner what does that bird need to be able to do? First is variety. Variety of their song. The number two is stabilitas. Stability. stability. One, uh, volume. Volume. This is number volume. three. Volume. Uh, and number four is style. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Complete this yeah. winner. Then you have a winner. Oh. I chose the winner. In every district across Indonesia, you'll find these competitions, large and small. This one's in Pontianak in West Kalimantan. It's hot here, right on the equator, and it's just like a boxing match. And the young men are very focused on their birds and on winning. They've now brought out some red flags, which I think they're going to attach to the, the winners. Um, but the judges are still standing around and it's looking very serious indeed, actually. The owners are starting to move into the ring and looking excited and hopeful. And everybody's holding their breath and just watching and waiting. So there are 60 birds here, all the same breed, all look identical. Oriental magpie robin. They're plump little white breasts and black and white striped tails. This competition is an expression of the chirping mania for songbirds that's one of the biggest threats to forests. It began centuries ago in Java as a cultural and traditional romance with keeping birds. But over the past 40 years, it's been pushed as a competitive leisure activity and has grown on an industrial scale, spreading through the country. There's money at every level, from the birds being poached from the forests to the prizes and bird trading, the food, the fancy cages and the accessories like backpacks to carry the cage on your motorbike. No one could have predicted just how out of hand it could get. This is Pa Min, a songbird collector and competitor. Which is your favourite bird? Apa namanya? Bulbul. Star-headed Yes. Suaranya says that the bird's voice can be heard from very far away. So at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, it's already calling and it wakes him up. <laughs> this one. Where did you get this bird from? Dari Malaysia. He's Malaysian? Malaysia. 
The straw-headed bulbul is already extinct in Indonesia. Same species? Sama, sama, sama. Okay, tell us how you're training the bird. Ini perawatan, terutama perawatan ya. First, you have to take care of it well. So in the morning you shower it and you give it new food and you clean its cage. In the evening you have to cover the cage to keep mosquitoes from biting the bird. And how do you teach it to sing? Pakai YouTube. He says he uses YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, he says that if you train the bird from a young age on a specific YouTube video, you can make it sing like that YouTube video. Yeah. It's like fishing for the um, voice of the bird. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. It's like... Saya malah bisa. Oh, he can't whistle. All right, so I'm just interested to see if this bird will respond to me whistling. Ah, oh, you want me now to be here forever to teach you how to, to talk to your birds. Back at the competition, Three of the birds have just stopped singing, and this is a bit of a disaster, is it? They're number 13, number 24, and number 12, right, and well, number 2-2. So they're out of the competition. Yeah. Yeah, they are announcing uh, the winner. Well, but the money is not so much, you know, something like $5 or $10, you know. And here's the winner. You've just won this competition. Very proud and very happy. How long have you had your bird? Four years. So a four-year champion. Yeah. And how much is your bird worth having won so many competitions? Like five or six thousand. So the prize money is small beer compared to the thousand-fold increase in value for a winning bird. Some judges take bribes to award a winner, and everyone benefits when the value of the bird goes up. This is Novia Sajita, who runs an NGO. Planet Indonesia. So the biggest bird competition is organized by a governor, and uh, the second biggest is uh, normally organized by the like a military or police department. So bird song competitions are entrenched into layers of the. Into a gov- yeah, gov- I don't want to say that. You know, it's not right. They know it, but yeah, they do it anyway. It's just like a therapy for them keeping birds and then feeding them, taking care of them. Yeah, but it doesn't mean like it's good for, for the for the bird, you know. So where do the birds come from? The forests. Most trappers are villagers looking for a little bit of extra cash here and there. And Ade Imansaya, education officer, explains one of the ways they do it. They use a glue and it's the picture of bird in cage with, you see the branch? This branch is already, already with glue. So they put glue on the yeah, branch? Yeah, they put on the branch. The glue just from, you know, the natural glue. A natural glue. Natural glue, yeah. From jackfruit. From it's the jackfruit? Jackfruit, yeah, because it's quite strong for the small bird. Of course, if the big birds perch there, 
on the branch, they will still fly. But if small bird first on the branch, yeah, they they will stuck and they get. Okay, so there's trap. there's a cage hanging from a branch yeah. that I can see, and inside that is a bird that is kind of like a lure, and on then the and then they sit on the branch. Yep, and then true. they're stuck. Yeah. Okay. Duta Ong is a wealthy Javanese businessman and has a serious collection of birds. As he points out, the royal family also keeps them. When I have my own house, I miss my childhood time. But when I was a child, I stay in the village. And then in the morning, you, you can hear a lot of birds singing. So when I have my own house, I think at the time I, I miss my childhood time and then I start collecting the birds. No, no, the plus point of this, uh, the dream of the young man going to this hobby, you can have the community and then the community is good for you also. And then secondly, you can have the activities okay, rather than being at home doing nothing. Can you tell me how you train the birds and are there any special techniques that you use? So the first one, we have to know the physical appearance first. And then secondly, also have to have a lot of birds as the masters. Okay. The masters. Yes. Usually these birds will copy what the master can do. Is it better to have a live bird as a master or will a YouTube video or an app be just as good? My background is from the electronic engineering background, right? So I know the bandwidth of that voice is different, you know. If you're using from the YouTube of the electronic compared than the original one. Does your wife like birds? She's living with you and a hundred birds. She loves me, right? So she has to accept me. It, it is a bit difficult to answer. <laughs> they just don't like, for example, this bird is living in the solitaire cage. So you have to take care of them carefully, especially on how to clean the cage every day. The birds, if you don't clean the cage, also will produce some bad smell also. And then if come to that situation, certainly your wife, your kids will complain also. How do you feel about the concerns that some people have that the birds are being caught from the forest and the forests are now becoming silent? Okay, we have to admit also, because the industry is becoming big and bigger. So a lot of people also catch from the wildlife. This is the challenge now. So I was thinking that uh, limit maybe the catching the birds from the wildlife, the regulation should be issued. And then rather than concentrated on the price money, which is very short term, it's better for them maybe to go for breeding. Breeding can be long term. You can earn for life also. So we've come to a very grand three-storey house, which you can hear. It's tiled floors and uh, beautifully painted walls and ceilings. We're in the district of Mumpower, which is about an hour out of Pontianak. And we've come to the house of Santi, who's a bird breeder. And uh, we're coming through to the area where Santi keeps her birds. And here is Santi herself. Salamat sore, Santi. <laughs> and, um, and what we've come to is a sort of a shed with a concrete path going down and you can hear the birds calling. 
and the call to prayer, of course, because it's Ramadan. And with us, we've got Katie, who's going to help us translate as Santi tells us what she does here. So it started as a hobby and she grew it into a way to support herself. What do you have to do to breed, to make birds breed? The first thing you do is you introduce a pair of birds to each other. They have to get closer to each other and then after about three weeks they're ready to settle down and meet. And how many chicks do you get? She says that for each time they lay eggs, two or three, but after about two weeks of claw, telurnya sudah sudah. Yeah, so about two, yeah, about two weeks of the parents taking care of their chicks, you're able to take the babies, raise them by hand, and then the parents will lay another set of eggs. You have a license for breeding birds. There are not many licenses. It's hard to get a license for breeding birds. Difficult, mm -hmm. very difficult. Too much money. Yeah. To get a license. Yeah. Yeah. Are you worried about the birds in the forest? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they definitely are worried about the birds in the forest. They do take a few birds from the forest in order to breed here, but they don't take very many. And what she does is she only takes males and only takes a few males, and the females are released again. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Ibu Santi says she breeds and sells about 300 birds a month. Perhaps making breeding licenses easier to get is the answer to the stripping of the forests. We head back to the Planet Indonesia office to find out more. I'm glad you guys visited that area and I, I'm glad that we're talking about it because when we work with trappers and hobbyists and we try to talk about solutions to the trade, we always get told the solution to the Indonesian wild bird trade is captive breeding. If the government allowed us to breed and gave us more permits, that this would not be the problem. And that's maybe on the surface could be done, but I think it is it is totally untrue. And I think it's just case after case after case of captive breeding within Indonesia. If you actually visit these breeders, you'll never see any chicks, you'll never see any juveniles, um, and they're just, they're just laundering species from the wild. It's true, we saw no chicks. Adam Miller's co-director of Planet Indonesia with Novia Sajita. And for four years, he's been chasing funding to get at the songbird issue right in the heart of local communities. There's easily probably one to two million birds a year that are traded within Indonesia. I think this issue of, of the competitions has grown um, and that people have kind of wanted to find new ways to showcase their birds. You know, and the, these men are very excited about their birds. In some of the interviews we've done with, with traders and trappers, this one guy told me once that the first thing he does in the morning before he kisses his wife and before he sends his kids to school is he gives his birds a bath and makes sure that they're fed. <laughs> so, you know, there is a very deep attachment to these birds, but there is also a competition between men as kind of a social status. And what we realized, um, there's a supply chain that generally has three links, and that's supply, middlemen are transit, and demand. And I think if you don't break down the supply chain and think about what are the motivations along the link, it's very, very hard to be effective. So the motivations at the supply side, we've really tried to look at ways that we can use 
services and use things that communities want in exchange for protecting species. So in the beginning, that was mostly economic related, but now it's expanded. Um, we're about to launch a women's health care program. We have a literacy program. And so in the first pilot village that we started in, um, there was trapping pretty much everywhere. And now, as far as I know, when I was just there a few weeks ago, there's only one household that still is trapping. Um, and so we, we created a conservation agreement with this community that we would administer these services in exchange for protecting wild birds. Yeah, for instance, yeah, when we were talking with the trappers, they were like, okay, how about like, you set up like five villages all together, and then because our villages are protected for us. How about, the trappers okay, like suggested breeding, like open breeding system for the birds. an open breeding okay, setup where the birds can come into together. the village to breed yeah. but and still fly away. Like, oh, they, they need to bring more money into their village. Okay, so perhaps it's easier chickens? to breed ducks, goats, and ducks chickens. Bring money. And then, Okay, how how we do it? We cannot do it like individual. Okay, how about like we do it together? The trappers so work together and learn management, so they can do it we themselves. We transfer the, the knowledge, we transfer the technology, we transfer the technique, we transfer the management, and then the bookkeeping, everything, and then they do it everything together. In the last year, moving up the supply chain to middlemen, we've gotten a lot more involved with doing undercover investigations. For instance, in 2015, from government data, there was no government confiscations of songbird trade in West Kalimantan. That was our first year. In 2016, our second year, almost 4,000 birds were confiscated that were illegally being traded from West Kalimantan to Java. It's confusing when both breeders and collectors agree it would be better to leave the birds in the forest, but say so in front of cages full of their own birds. So how do you deal with that? I think the first time we ever really did a large workshop, we were really nervous about it. We had trappers and traders and the government and everyone involved. And it was a conservation conference where every single member was basically conducting wildlife crime. So there was no conservation groups. And in the first hour, and it was amazing how quickly we got past it, is basically everyone in the room agreed that no matter what, we all needed birds. Whether it was we wanted to see them in a cage or we wanted to see them in a forest, everyone needed birds. And that if we didn't do something together, that we would all lose. What you see when you see NGOs around the world is an Anglo person running the show. Um, I just didn't, I didn't want to be a part of that trend or that stereotype. And almost didn't do it for those for those reasons. And then I think through a lot of conversations with Novi and, and the team, so much of, of my role is just getting them the resources. Um, I just separate myself from the issue and think that my job in these conferences is actually to tell the story of the trappers, is tell the story of the staff. But the forest keeps emptying. There are a couple of places in Indonesia that are trying to breed endangered birds, not for competition, but for release back into the wild. Chicken anger is in Java, and we go there to see and hear what it'd be like to have the birds back. So I'm Jonathan Bealby. I'm an intern here at the Chicken Anger Conservation Breeding Centre, or CCBC, um, supported by Chester Zoo, and I've been here for four months so far. Where we are now, we're right outside the Keeper building. Um, if you look straight out, there's our main gate. So we've got a perimeter gate that goes all around the centre um, for security, because all, a lot of these birds are very valuable. So we've got the black-winged starling, the Sumatran laughing thrush, and the green magpie. 
and we've got the rufous-fronted laughing thrush, all really endangered from cage bird trade and habitat destruction and things like that. This is a Sumatran laughing thrush, so there's a male in here. He's a bit upset because we've just removed his female, so he was coming right to the front and singing, but his female's gone to a different cage. So, so they'd been together for three years, and they hadn't bred, so we removed the female, and then going to swap the females around, and sometimes that stimulates them to breed. So. Can I ask you what you do to prepare a bird that you've bred here for the wild? You must have to be very careful not to get them used to humans. How do you prevent that? So let's say, for example, this cage here, we've got a pair of black winged starlings. They have their chicks in this box. They rear their chicks in this nest box here. Um, and then the chick will fledge, be with the parents, and then we will catch it for deworming. And then we will put it by itself for a few weeks to make sure it eats by itself. Then it goes into the juvenile cage and that's all we have to do with, with the bird. So we try and keep it as hands-off as possible. Where do you take it? The previous release is in West Java. We're doing the monitoring regularly, yeah. Birds are not easy to follow. How do you follow them? Yes, it's not easy, but we can do that. <laughs> because, yeah, we start the monitoring from they wake up in the morning, in the early morning, so we find them. The team monitors the birds when from when they're released, got them, follows them all day, them till they have the sleeping Until trees. they find this so, sleeping tree. Oh, that's the sleeping tree. And then tomorrow we can get them uh, in sleeping tree. They're quite noisy, aren't they? Do you find them because of their call? Yeah, yeah. As you can hear, it's complicated breeding birds. This is the clearest proof. It's just not possible to breed 300 per month to supply the industry. So the forest birds become more rare. And chicken anger is now locked down after it was robbed of its best breeding stock four years ago. The haul of rare birds was valued at 12 years of an average Indonesian income. So this is the sound of a place which doesn't have birds in it. Obviously there are insects and you'll always hear kids calling and motorbikes and maybe some chopping, but what you won't hear is the birds. It's time for us to be on our way and take a look next at the poaching of mammals. There are some animals which get confiscated and are fortunate to find themselves in a release program that actually works. They're the strangest creatures you may never have heard of, the pangolin. Caught in their millions for food and traditional medicine, they make it to a refuge in North Vietnam before being released. And that's where we'll be going in part two of The Silent Forest. But as we begin the long drive back to Sakano Hata Airport, we stop at a bird shop with Chickenanga's education officer, Ade. And that's where I'm nearly undone, where I feel all the effort of these good people might be for nothing. The intersection of commerce and tradition is all powerful. You just make permission with the traders. So of course, they... let's go and say hello. Okay. All right. There are rows and rows of birds, little tiny birds in cages. In this shop, we can see the kind of starling, quail, and canary, and 
kind of parrot. This is the it's the popular for songbird contest. It's the Oriental white eye. And there's about 200 cages just on the street front, and inside each cage there can be anything from one to 30 or 40 birds. So you can do the maths, but that's an awful lot of birds. They can reach one million per day, one million rupiah per day. They can get one million rupiah a day. Or more. About a hundred Australian dollars. Yeah. There's a lot of young men gathered around yeah. this shop, inside and out. Just standing around, looking, watching, buying seed, exchanging money. And we're back in the car and I must say I'm pretty moved by what I saw there. Especially the sight of two very large black birds that were in a cage. I don't know what they were, some kind of miner maybe. It's two of them just desperately trying to get out of their little tiny cage. And the road just doesn't stop. It's the reality of Indonesia. So, so many people have a wrong mindset about animal, about wildlife, about yeah, about all animals, not only birds, but also mammals. Because we are not rich country, so we prefer get the money easily. Nothing thinking about environment so they assume if they get the birds in the forest in the nature and sometime uh, one day the birds will hatch again and so they're not afraid about lose the bird in the wild until they until they realize there's no bird in forest